Hi, Chris. How are you? Good afternoon, Rod. Yeah, I'm very well. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you too. I hope you had a good one. Yeah, very good. Very good. With the family, I'm happy just having a quiet day with the family myself. Yeah, that was, uh, I think, the most exciting thing we did, other than eat far too much food, was uh, walk the dog on the beach. And then on Boxing Day, we went down with a lifeguard club and we uh, went for a dip in the sea, which was a little bit on the cold side. You are a sadist. Well, to be fair, a lot of my family has done this over the last year. They've gone down at least once a week and actually gone for a swim. This was literally a dip. I dived in, got my whole body wet and came out again. But I did feel pretty good afterwards. So maybe there's something in this. I don't disagree with that. I think it can be quite revitalizing, I guess. But yeah, I'm not a sadist. <laughs> sadist may not be the right thing. You'll have to follow the teachings of Wim Hof, which who, who suggests a very cold shower every day. He had a show on the BBC with some celebrities in last year, I think. Uh, but he he very much advocates, you know, get very, very cold and it sort of reactivates your immune system and all sorts of stuff, which is probably nonsense. But some people really swear by it. Uh, I wouldn't disagree. A good friend of mine, he's got an ice bucket bath in essence and it literally is a giant bucket you hop in it on your patio you get very wet and then you hop straight out of it and go and have a shower and off you go apparently it's meant to like you say do, do what you say revitalize you yeah maybe you're gonna live forever if you do that i don't know but to be fair i did actually feel quite good after it fair enough we've all got our we've all got our thing so episode 100 then 27th of december to 2023 so amazing this is our hundreds episode we should have like a, some fanfare or something yeah, we should maybe have done something. I think we're we're going to do a little best of the year later on as the main show, so that'll be something. But yeah, we made it to 100 episodes on our last episode of 2023 as well. Yeah, which is a good feat. I think 100, though, it's a good milestone, isn't it, to get to triple triple digits. It's not bad. I found out somebody at work had had a podcast when I was out on a Christmas do, and they got to episode 60 and it stopped. And I thought, well, if nothing else, you know, <laughs> keeping going for 100 is quite a milestone. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Shall we dive into follow-up? Let's do some follow-up. So I just thought this was interesting given my woes with Matter based on your recommendation, which I'm not blaming you for it, I'm blaming Matter for it, and Meros and Apple HomeKit and all that mess of stuff. I still haven't fixed it, it still doesn't work. But while I was sort of casting around the internet trying to find a solution for this, there's a journalist on The Verge, who, Jennifer Patterson-Tui, who used to write for the BBC actually, so a fellow Brit, it would seem... Uh, has also more or less been driven mad by Matter. The fact that our Hue Bridge, which has been upgraded to Matter, everything connected to it is now slow, takes multiple attempts to do things, can't add light bulbs anymore. It's a disaster, this Matter thing. Yeah, I mean, it was never going to be easy, was it? Because you're taking lots of different standards and trying to bring them together. But maybe that's where they went wrong. Maybe they shouldn't have retrofitted it to things and just gone right new things going forwards. But even then... I think we may still have some issues. I did buy my father and my father-in-law a matter plug for Christmas, which I'm sure I'm going to have to set up. Um, I'm concerned whether it's going to cause me any issues or be completely easy because they haven't got a complicated network and lots of Apple TVs and things. So I'm, I'm going to be curious to see how that plays out. But no, I, I did see this about Philips. And it's a shame because I think largely the Philips Hue range, as we discussed the other week, has been universally really well received and has has been there from very early days so it's a bit of a shame matter just isn't i don't know isn't killing it i guess but it's also a bit odd with matter because you don't know what version you're on or apple don't seem to ever mention that they're doing anything with it but i'm sure various os versions have updated it in some way it's weird how it's made it worse really that you know 
before you would add a device in the, the manufacturer's app and then via the app you'd add it to Apple HomeKit. So you'd have that sort of troubleshooting step where you'd go, oh, the manufacturer's thing can't see it, so it's not working. You don't have that anymore. You just stick your camera in front of it and it wants to try and add it to HomeKit and HomeKit tries to add it and then you just get a, can't do that. And um, the, the fact there is no steps I can take to figure out where the problem is. Is it HomeKit? Is it Meros? Is it broken? This article seems to suggest the same thing, that there's issues somewhere in the pipeline that nobody knows where it is. And Matter took such a long time to come out and was so convoluted getting there, and they wanted to get it right. And I seem to remember you having all sorts of issues, being unable to add new things to it too during the beta process. This just seemed like a massive cock-up to me from every single angle. Yeah, definitely. And it's odd that Philips released it, because surely they've tested this, and why would you let it go out to the wider world if it's not not as good as what you had before we do seem to regress quite a bit lately in software on various platforms yeah i even considered i was in john lewis just before christmas and i was looking at one of the little google things with a screen that used to be a like an echo type home pod type device with a screen that you can watch youtube in your kitchen and i thought it was 50 quid and i thought should i get that will that fix my home kit slash matter problems or will it make it worse so i didn't but i genuinely thought even of jumping ship to something somebody else to try and make it work Wow, that's quite a step. Yeah, and at the end of the day, it's just to turn on and off some Christmas lights that are outside and I won't use it for the rest of the year. So I think they'll just have to sit in a box unused and I'll go back to the old ones, which are at least are reliable. Wow. Ours has been very good, actually, I must say. All the sockets that we have, and we've got quite a few in the house, they've all worked fine over Christmas. Well, I'm glad you've had success, but I'm not the only one facing matter issues. No, I, I don't disagree with you. And look, it's working now, but wait till I want to add a new thing. I'm sure that's when the fun will come. How's your Raspberry Pi adventure going? Yeah, really well. And I've actually got an Arduino, which we talked about a little bit, and we've been playing with that with the kids. And I've learned some Python. So I, I think if you'd have asked me a year ago, would I be sat here playing with a Raspberry Pi and learning Python and various other things? I'd have said, no, I can't imagine me doing that. But yeah, here I am, and I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Excellent. I'm glad to hear it. Well, I'll show it on the camera for the benefit of the viewers, but there's a Raspberry Pi 5 that I ordered way back in the day and finally came last week. It's still in the box. I haven't had a chance to do anything with it, but yeah, I've now got, I think I've had every generation of the Raspberry Pi at this point. And, and you're not looking to do some assembler like I was with a Raspberry Pi? I have no interest in doing that. I'm very curious to see how it will perform as a Plex or a Jellyfin server because media transcoding was not a thing the Raspberry Pi was good at. Uh, my existing Raspberry Pi 4 runs my... Pi-hole server, my um, WireGuard VPN, my home bridge to bridge my non-HomeKit stuff into... Maybe that's part of the problem. I've updated that. It's not that. My home bridge to bridge my Apple stuff to HomeKit and something else that I can't think of right now. Uh, so it runs four services incre incredibly well by itself. So I'm in no great rush to update that. So I'm, I'm curious to see what I can do with the number five here. Yeah, I can understand that you don't want to change it, but that's a lot for a you know, 50 quid Raspberry Pi to run, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. And it, it doesn't miss a beat and it consumes almost no power. So I love the thing. Just to close this out on Raspberry Pis, I would say to anybody out there, though, if you've got a child next year when you're coming around to Advent and they're interested in it, then definitely buy one they can. They are £40. It lasts for 12 days, but well worth the money because it's just opened up my son's mind. And then we went and saw some lights just before Christmas and he was working out how they programmed it all. And it was even done by a local maker centre where they do Raspberry Pi programming things. So it was a good eye-opener for them just to see that they could do some of this. It's within their grasp now. 
No, that's really cool. That's a really important learning moment for kids and for you to be able to have imparted that to them and for the process to have worked so well. I think that's, that's really impressive. Nice. Uh, a little bit of follow-up from last week as well. Uh, we talked last week about uh, the PlayStation being a real problem for disappearing content. All of Discovery's shows were going to go for a bunch of people that bought them. Sony have actually walked back from this and have managed to extend the licensing agreement. So the things they thought they'd bought, seems like rented, are actually going to remain on the, their PlayStations for a little bit longer. So that's the right thing to do. 100% the right thing, but how we end up in these kerfuffles every time is a mystery to me. Yeah, it's really not good enough, is it? Nope. Right, I think that's it for follow-up. Shall we dive into news? Let's dive into news. And this is a story that was breaking last week, but we didn't touch on it. And if you've tried to buy an Apple Watch in America, particularly the newest Series 9 or Apple Watch Ultra 2, as of yesterday or the day before, I think it was, you would have been unable to buy them. So there's been a patent dispute that has been ruled on by the ITC, which is the Independent Trade or the International Trade Commission, saying that Apple are unable to sell these devices in America. Apple has appealed this, but lost the appeal. As my understanding, they're going to appeal again. This comes into, there's a patent dispute between a company called Massimo and Apple for the SPO2, the, the oxygen saturation sensors that are in this generation of Apple Watch, meaning they've got to ban the sales of the current ones, but actually exist since the Apple Watch. I think it's about the Series 7, the SPO2 came out. It was just at the start of COVID, wasn't it? So if one of those earlier models breaks, you can't get that fixed either. So this is a fairly wide-reaching re- ban. Yeah, this could be massive, hasn't it? Because I've not seen... Apple do this before. I don't recall a scenario where they've had to pull a current product and one that's only launched a few months ago from sale. This has got to be hurting them massively, surely. Yeah, at the Christmas period, people are going to be out there with their wallets out ready to buy the latest Apple Watch for the partners. And just at the last minute, nice little last minute gift for somebody, you can't do that. Yeah, or people that had, you know, money for Christmas and then wanted to go out and buy something with it. I'm amazed that they've had to do this um, and that they didn't see this coming because surely they would have had you know teams looking in to make sure that anything they they release is is patent allowed I, I don't know I guess it's quite hard one because there's so many patents out there in the world yeah and I think other podcasts are covered better than we can the mess that is the US patent system I'm not saying ours is any better in the UK or indeed anywhere else in the world I know there's a lot of advocates that there shouldn't be patents at all you shouldn't be able to trademark an idea but uh, that's not the way the world is structured, and I don't think it's one you or I are qualified to comment on, really. It is interesting. It's interesting that the Biden administration didn't seem to care about this. I think Apple had hoped, with their lobbying money and all the rest of it, that actually the US government would come in on their side in this. And this hasn't happened either, so it's just down to the appeals. Underneath it all, it seems like there's a fairly shady story involving Apple going to see Massimo, meeting them, and if not stealing the ideas for the SPO2 sensor, stealing some of the engineers by paying them lots of money to come and work from Apple as well, which is, I suppose, what big companies do. But it's, again, we say this a lot in this podcast recently, it's not a great look. Yeah, it's not a great look, but this is how the corporate world works, I guess. And I think you're right, we're probably not qualified to talk about patent laws, and I, I think in my head I could argue it either way, for and against. I'm just amazed this has happened and that actually Apple and Massimo didn't sit around a table because surely they could just go, write us a check for a trillion billion dollars and apple go okay here you go but maybe apple dug in or massimo dug in who knows or maybe they didn't even want to have a conversation so i'm I'm just amazed they've actually had to pull it the only thing i find weird is it's just in the states and it doesn't apply worldwide because surely if you're infringing a patent surely it's worldwide or maybe massimo only have it for the the american market i don't know 
Again, I don't know. I mean, they're a Brazilian company, is my understanding. Certainly there were Brazilian engineers involved. So American law, North American law, I don't... Again, you can. we're clearly not patent law, lawyers or lawyers of any sort. So it's just, it's fascinating to me that such a big product that's been sold, this is what, the third generation of the sensor now and all the rest of it has taken this long for it to get through the courts and then for this ban to happen on the 24th of December, to be really clear, on the day they had stopped selling the things. It's quite a big deal for Apple, uh, but I I don't like the background of this of, of Apple going around doing this. But as you say, such as such as life. Yeah, you see in a lot of sectors, don't you? Staff move between companies within the same sort of sector, and I guess the pro- problem for Apple is they're in every sector kind of thing. So whether it's sport or fitness or health, in this case, you know they're in those sectors and they're gonna. Yeah, poach people. It was like when Nike did the Nike band, if you remember that years ago, I used to have one. And then a lot of that ended up in the Apple Watch, because I'm assuming either Apple and Nike reached an agreement or what what have you, Bella. Yeah, who knows what happens behind closed doors, I guess. But it's mental, this. I guess it would have been worse for Apple if the band was like on the 20th of December in the run-up to Christmas. I guess it was on the last day of shopping, in essence. It possibly has hurt them le- less at the moment, but obviously not a good look just generally going into the new year. No, not at all. Uh, and speaking of things that are probably not a good look for Apple, in our second story, the, 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 in Japan, they've decided that they need to prepare regulation requiring Apple to allow sideloading in iOS. So this is the tip of the iceberg of what's going to happen to them in 2024, I think. Yeah, it feels like this is echoing the EU. And it, there was rumour that Apple were doing something to make this work in the EU. So whether they're just going to, in essence, end up allowing sideloading in more and more countries as they all force Apple to do it, and then it will just become global. But yeah, I'm not surprised other countries are getting on board with this. Yeah, and the quote is, the legislation is expected to be sent to Parliament, the Japanese Parliament, next year, and focuses on four areas, app stores and payments, search, browsers, and operating systems. If approved, the Japan Fair Trade Commission will be able to impose fines on companies that violate the new legislation. More details are expected by spring 2024. So again, the EU is very swiftly going to follow this with the Digital Markets Act, and I'm sure UK, US, and others will follow suit. Yeah, I guess it depends on what the fines were and if they're capped or not, because Apple could just eat the fines, I guess. Yeah, they could, but I think it was like 10% of the company's overall revenue for the year. And for Apple, that's a shed load of money. That's a big number, isn't it? Yeah, that's not your little 50 million piddling thing that the Dutch were putting on them. 10% of 74 billion, was it, in the last quarter? Wow. Imagine if you had that in every market. Yeah, I I don't think, you know, the the Apple are going to patch that pretty quickly because that's the Mac business or something like that for a year. It's it's a huge amount of money. So yeah, this is 2024 is going to be interesting for Apple Computer. Not Apple Computer anymore, just Apple. Just just Apple. Now, I think it will be an interesting year because maybe this is the year that they write a few wrongs with legislation, with iPads, with USB-C on peripherals, etc. Yeah, fair enough. Other companies facing trouble, and we've got a few car-related stories. The tech news is a little down given the time of year we're at, but I thought this was an interesting one. Um, and this is a story from Associated Press and, and other uh, places as well about an ongoing Tesla strike in Scandinavia. And we were talking about this before the show started. And you hadn't heard of this, had you? No, I must have missed this one, which is odd because I've been keeping an eye on the news over the last few days, even though it's obviously been a bit quiet. But no, I hadn't seen this. So why don't you walk us through it? So this is quite an interesting story that obviously most of Europe is more unionized, I think, than the US. And most US companies are extremely anti-union. See Apple. Tesla and Elon really don't like unions. So 
the initial strike, which happened in October 27 in Sweden, 130 mechanics at 10 Tesla garages walked off the job over the company's refusal to sign a collective agreement. Tesla doesn't have a factory in Sweden, but it does have service centers and things like that. And since then, this strike has just escalated, not just across Sweden, but across the Nordic countries as a whole, with members of the country's transport union, for example, saying they're going to stop collecting waste from Tesla service centers. Other unions have said they won't paint cars, they won't take them off ships, they won't do them all things, including in Norway, Finland, Denmark. So this strike has just escalated across Scandinavia, really. And Tesla don't really seem to be doing anything about it. I don't think they negotiate with unions, but I think there's a fair bit of rubbish building up out of service centers now where customers aren't getting their cars repaired or their batteries fixed or, you know, whatever else is going on in those particular countries. Yeah, definitely not a good customer experience, is it? So amaze this because this could put somebody off buying a Tesla in the future. I, I had one once. I couldn't get it serviced. I'm not buying one again. So I'm surprised it's reached this point. It's also interesting sort of the ongoing repercussions of this. So other companies invest in shares in Tesla and companies like that. And some of these, including Norway's biggest pension fund provider, have said they're not going to invest in the te- in Tesla shares as part of that because they don't feel the company is honorable enough to invest in. So that is a whole, you know, legal, ethical, how your company has seen corporate social responsibility thing that I bet Elon wasn't thinking when he just went, no, no, those 130 mechanics can bite me. Yeah, it's very short-term view, isn't it? But Elon does seem to be one of those people that's happy to be short-termist, I think, and just, just deal with the fallout when, as and when it happens. Yeah, but imagine this spreads to Germany, who are also slightly more unionised than the US, where they actually are, there is a gigafactory and you know they make Teslas there and batteries and all the rest of it. If that, the strike spreads there, that will stop production of Tesla vehicles. Yeah, that's true. That is true. So I think this is a fascinating story. And with many things that Elon has done this year, not sure it makes the most sense just to clam up and do nothing about it. No, I definitely agree with that. I'm not sure I agree with some of his management style, to be fair. No. And sticking with cars, this is a fascinating story about General Motors. Now, you and I have talked about General Motors this year through their frankly baffling decision to drop CarPlay from not their existing vehicles, but all new EVs from this point are going to, they're not going to have CarPlay Android Auto, they're going to have their own software stack. And um, this is a story about a journalist that picked up one of these new Chevy Blazer EVs in Ohio, I think it was, and was driving to Richmond. And basically the car became non-functional. The screens would die, they wouldn't give charging status, the radios wouldn't work. It was just a collective sequence of issues with them to the point where they couldn't charge it, they couldn't see what was going on on the screen, they had to pick it up on a low loader and take it back to the factory in Ohio. Your software sounds terrific, Jim. Yeah, this is not a great look at all for them, is it? A car should function and not need a low loader to get home. But then in the other breath, when you've got Jim going, we don't want to use CarPlay, we can do a much better job. And I know that's probably a different team and it's years away from working, but it's not a great look for them, is it, that their own software is this bad? So, oh, it's an awful story. And it made me think, actually, with my BMW, I've been really impressed with the software in it. I've barely had any issues like that. I certainly haven't had any concerns about the dash not updating or anything. When I'm driving, there's any problems with it. It's been amazingly well done. So, yeah, not a great look for GM at all. Yeah, I mean, the linked story 
these are production cars. These aren't review models. You know, you've been able to buy them for two years. Uh, our Chevy Blazer EV has 23 problems after only two months. It's got 1,600, mi 1600 miles in the odometer, and the long-term Blazer EV has been at the dealer for more than two weeks. We bought this. It's been part of their fleet. A diagnostics check revealed 23 fault codes, none of which showed on the dashboard. As of this writing, it's been sat in the dealership for tw two weeks. And as of December 22nd, Chevrolet have stopped selling the Blazer. Pulled the whole car. What, until they fix the software, or just <laughs> they're pulling it because it's a oh, rubbish car? Well, it could be either, but this, this sort of these things cascade, and this is the same vehicle rebadged and sold by Honda in the United States as the Acura and, and something else. So th th this car has serious problems. Yes, yeah, not good at all for a company that sells a lot of cars. Like, An awful this one falling through the net. Well, General Motors is Fiat and all sorts of other things, I think, isn't it? So, yeah, this is not great at all. And going back to the start of the story dropping CarPlay because they're going to write their own software is clearly the least of their problems. They've got some fairly in, in, entrenched problems that they're going to have to deal with at GM. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, so interesting. Uh, speaking of which, do you want to tell us about next generation CarPlay? Uh, not overly, because I can't get it. Um, so yeah, Apple um, said a year and a half ago at WWDC 22, so I was just checking I got my years right, that we would see CarPlay, next gen CarPlay, in 2023 and i think apple got this in on about december the 20th so literally just under the wire for the end of the year the um porsche and aston martin will start shipping next gen do you know what when they announced this next gen carplay so this is next gen carplay where it's not just your phone being mirrored onto a screen in the dash um and, do, and doing a few apps it's taking over the whole car so you could you know change the aircon with it and do all those other things um and have it as your speedos literally be your whole car I thought that they would update regular CarPlay as well to, you know, to bring it all along, but they just seem to be doing nothing to regular CarPlay. So this next-gen one is, I'm assuming, all baked into the car as my iDrive system is. So I guess when you turn on your Porsche and your Aston, you just, you're just getting the Apple experience, which I would love. I, I would be well up for this because the reason, or one of the reasons I got my BMW is because when I'm in maps, it will show on the cluster the, the apple map directions on the heads-up display it shows the directions there and it just seemed the most fully baked in carplay car i could buy at the time so i would definitely be on board with this because whilst carplay doesn't have a lot of options it's really well designed it isn't distracting contrary to what gm say and i actually really like the interface i think it is, is well done my children got on very well with it so yeah it's great that they've finally got this out there it seems odd to me that it's taken 18 months. I do wonder whether Apple weirdly announced it a bit early. It seems an odd, odd for them, for a company notoriously secretive, to announce something that took over 18 months to actually get a further update on, if that makes sense. Because they announced it in the June 22. They said nothing about it in June 23 at their next developers conference. And then in December the 20th, they've got, yep, yeah, it's coming in this Aston Martin and in this Porsche. And I think it looks great. And I'd love to see what it's like in reality. Maybe it just took them a lot longer to get out the door than they thought. But like I say, unusual for Apple. Normally, they, they would just announce it when it's ready to ship. I think things take a long time in cars. I mean, we've seen this week that Volkswagen have announced for the ID2 prototype and beyond. They're bringing physical controls back. Volkswagen got absolutely hammered for the ID3, ID4, ID5, ID7 models of cars because the in -car infotainment stuff was absolute garbage. It was capacitive controls in the steering wheels. People couldn't do things. Volume controls or heating controls with four or five menus deep in, in inside of the vehicles. So 
they knew this was a problem and that car's been in sale for four, four and a half years, something like that now. It takes a long time to get through things through manufacturers. I think it's interesting that, you know, I think Apple put it out there to say it was going to be a thing. And this is a relatively short period of time in, on, a, on an automotive, you know, time scale for these things to start appearing. So I'm okay with them. Maybe they just wanted to let other manufacturers know that it was going to be a thing. We might get Ford saying next week that they're all in, in on this as well. We might get VW saying that, who knows? But I think it's good. It's encouraging. I like to see CarPlay evolve like this on top of whatever else the actual software is that's running in the car, not what General Motors is, I presume. Yeah, I think this is a great development. I'd quite like it on my cars, but it's not going to happen in a Tesla, that's for sure. But yeah, but it still doesn't answer why they announced it so early, because they could go and speak to all these manufacturers. I'm sure they've got roads in without doing a, a presentation to the general public. It just, just seems very unapple like to give a nod to something before it's you know actually available. Maybe, but the public has an opinion, like with the GM story. I think people won't buy GM vehicles now because of that. Maybe getting on the right side of the people saying, hey, we want next generation CarPlay in our cars. I suspect Porsche and Aston Martin uh, vehicle buyers are probably quite vocal about stuff like that. Has an impact in the public pushing back against manufacturers who might be on the fence going... This is, so, you know, you've got to play both sides of that. Yeah, you can keep it under the table and, you know, go and speak to the manufacturers. But actually, if your customers are coming into your showrooms going, when am I getting next-generation Apple CarPlay in my in my vehicle? That's part of it. Yeah, no. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. And I would shy away from any manufacturers not willing to, to do CarPlay. So um, I'm on board with that. Interestingly, BMW, I think they did some enhancements to CarPlay in a recent firmware update for me. I think it was to do with the dash that you can now have the compass on it and things that come through CarPlay. So um, you're right, I would stay away from GM because I do want, want to have CarPlay in my car. Can't live without it. Yep, fair enough. Uh, another company that I will be definitely steering away from is Humane. So we talked about them a few uh, weeks ago. This was the AI pin that you plugged into yourself or hung on your item of clothing, needed a separate SIM card in it, uh, and had a projection display you could predict onto your hand. Has chat GPT stuff baked into it to serve as an assistant, but they're actually going to ship it as of March 2024. If you placed a priority order, you're going to be able to pick one up. Are you going to be in the queue for this? Well, it's America only, but I'm mean, <laughs> no, not planning to be. I kind of, I do like the concept. I can generally like the concept. And it's partly why I was so into my Apple Watch for a while, because I thought, actually, I do like a world where I don't take my phone with me everywhere. And, I, you know, you don't check it when you're bored or while you're chatting to friends. I like the concept of that. But you're always missing something. So for me, I'd be missing my wallet, my car keys, my music, my camera. And I don't want to take all those things as separates like we would have done five years ago, say, maybe 10. I like the concept of it, but I will not be buying one of these. I don't want another phone number. The only way this can really work is if Apple and AI, or Humane, sorry, work together on it so that you could pro provide it as an extension to your iPhone, like your Apple Watches. But this is not going to work. I'm sorry. And I'm amazed they've got this far. This is a tremendous waste of talent, engineering, money, everything I can think of, frankly. It's a novel concept that you'd expect a Microsoft or an Apple to show on a stage and go, it's a prototype of something else I've got in mind down the line. Actually shipping this is bonkers. Their demo wasn't good. It's $700 and then a $24 a month subscription. It is not going to be supported beyond three to four months, I would say, something like that, uh, because it's going to vanish without a trace unless there's some really big proponents behind it, and I don't know who that's going to be. It feels like Palm when they did the Palm phone and they were trying to catch up with Android and Apple and it just didn't work. And then you end up in a end of life period. I'm amazed it's got this far. 
I don't like how humane have come over the fact they're relying so much on AI and talking to the thing. The thing I want to do least is talk to my devices, if I'm honest. Occasionally I do, and actually I should probably follow my kids. We were trying to play an episode of Top Gear on iPlayer, on the Apple TV. But the iPlayer app doesn't allow you to browse through the series on the Apple TV. I don't know why, but the iPad version does. But actually, if you go, hey, dingus, on the remote, play Top Gear... It actually brings up a, a mechanism for you to browse by series, which the iPlayer app doesn't do. And I was like, how did you get that screen up? Because that's really useful. Because when you've got 152 episodes or something, and you know you don't want to watch one of the first 20, episodes, yeah, 20 seasons worth of episodes, it's really hard to scroll through 150 in a horizontal list on your TV. So there are some benefits to voice, but you've got to know when to use it. But you, you don't want it to be your only interaction. I, I'm curious to see how this is going to work and what the companion web interface will be like. I, if we're talking about this in a year from now, I will be amazed. Yeah, I was about to say it reminds me of that Microsoft Android phone, the Surface Duo. But I thought they'd stop selling it. But I've just looked on the Microsoft store. No, it is out of stock, actually. But it's starting from £1,349 for a really rubbishy dual screen phone. Obviously not that well supported by Microsoft if it's out of stock at Christmas. And I think I think Google, Google, Samsung are probably showing everybody this is how you do dual screens. To be fair to them, I'm a little curious by Humane though. Is this going to be their main product, or are they going to be a company that makes like a plethora of things in different spaces, or are they all going to be linked and have an ecosystem? You know, it'd be interesting to see where they go with this. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, nothing was another company that came along with an Android launch and then headphones and then everything that that looked really good and, and quite an Apple sort of design. In fact, you could say very Apple sort of design. But they've shot themselves in the foot through the beeper scandal by saying they were going to make me blue bubble friends, as we've talked about repeatedly on this podcast. I don't think there'll be enough interest after this flops hard and humane releasing anything else, despite how clever the next thing might be. True. It's hard to come back from a big failure, isn't it? Especially once in public. Yeah. Moving along, and big failures, this could be a catastrophic failure for some people. This is a story that I found in the register that I wouldn't call it Christmas cheer, but it largely only seems to be affecting America more than anything else. But the the company Philips, who makes MRI machines, magnetic resonance imaging, big magnets is basically what they are, has issued a recall for an MRI scanner. Now that's a worry, because an MRI scanner is generally in a dedicated room inside of a hospital with lots of very careful things around it and keeping as much metal away from the magnet as possible. Basically, the magnet spins at a very high um, RPM uh, inside of the machines. It takes a while to spin them up and spin them down. And one of the things they they have as part of that is is a gas that builds up inside of them. Um, And every so often that gas needs to be released because you get a pressure buildup. It's called a quench. Is what happens when the magnet coils are no longer at the the temperature they're meant to be. Otherwise, they lose their superconductivity. It's helium that's inside of them as it spins. If this quench doesn't happen, the device can rupture and explode. So that's a real problem. I and mean, we were talking about software inside of you know medical devices that give patients insulin and all the rest of it being a problem. These MRI, MRI machines will be fitted inside buildings and hospitals that cost a significant amount of money. This is quite a big deal. Yeah, it is interesting. So, but the, this is for MF, M, apologies. I get my words out. This is for MRI scanners sold between 2001 and 2016. So, 15 year period. There's 150 in the States, but they've sold 340 globally. So it's not ridiculous numbers. You're not like at Apple's scale here, but you're right. They must have cost a fortune. And one has gone pop in that time. So one out of 340, it's not ridiculous, but could be obviously catastrophic if people are near it, in it, operating it. So unbelievable it's taken so long for this to have 
have come out, I guess. Because whilst they were only sold for 15 years, obviously the first one was sold 22 years ago. So it's taken a long time to find this, but wow, I didn't know it. these things were so complicated using gas to cool them down and what have you. They're amazing devices, MRI scanners. In my, in my professional life, I spend quite a lot of time thinking about MRI scans or, or obtaining them or, or things like that. And as part of the diagnosis of multiple sclerosis, it's required that you have a, an MRI scan, actually two MRI scans to prove that it's happened. So I'm quite familiar with MRI scanners and being around them and all the rest of it. I've been in one, I've been in one a couple of times myself as well. And they are amazing machines. And the technology that has increased in them over the years, the, the sort of definition, the way they work effectively is they take your body and they t- cut it into very thin slices as you go along. And the higher resolution ones cuts it to ever thin, thinner slices at better resolution, really. One MRI scan of a, of a brain and spine is 4.4 gigs of data. Wow. So uh, you think if you're sectioning the whole body or something like that, particularly as the scanners get newer and newer, this is part of it. So the technology marches on, but... It's a significant investment for a hospital to buy one of these things. 340 is a lot. I mean, you're probably talking multi-billion amounts of, of dollars to have these machines in places, plus all the sort of infrastructure that's around them as well. So I just think it's a fascinating story that they might go bang, um, and you would not want that with the patient in it. No, but it shows about that whole quality assurance piece. How do you test all these things? That, that's the, the key, isn't it? It's difficult as a as the FDA or the MHRA here in the UK to look through every single aspect of this because I suspect most device manufacturers don't think about supercoolant and things like that within a device, do they? You know, it's 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 the bit that's facing the patient. Is it giving out harmful rays? Is it going to you know turn them into Spider Man? Something like that that they're more worried about than the machinery that's sort of operating in the background. But that's all regulated too. Yeah, true. Uh, yeah, quite an amazing story. It's an amazing story. And last story for, for the news, I think, is quite fitting this in this year of open AI and our various discussions about large language models and all the rest of it, is that the New York Times, as of today, is suing OpenAI and Microsoft for copyright infringement for building up its model on New York Times articles. What do you think of this story? I think this kind of summarizes the year of AI. There's been a lot of talk about AI doing wonderful things, but I think we've had a lot of... N- I was going to say negativity, a lot of downsides to it in that the way it's been trained, the copyright piece, how would you know if somebody's actually written their homework, have they used AI to do it? When a piece of art's made, is it using pieces of art that are copyrighted and, and, and can't be duplicated? So I think it kind of sums up AI. It's, it's very much in its infancy and I don't think we fully know A, how we're going to use it, but B, how we're going to govern it. And this is a big point to that. You know, the New York Times obviously is believes it's uh, used its content to generate all of these um, to do the large language model stuff and to learn from it but how do we govern that it's, we ha- we don't have mechanisms in place to deal with this yeah it is interesting the New York Times is sort of first to leap and actually sue but they'd already previously blocked OpenAI Spider for crawling their content as has the BBC CNN and Reuters so these are big art, big news organizations that have a huge amount of, of data behind their web pages. You think of BBC.com and the amount of stuff, local, regional, weather, celebrity, all the sort of, and, at least, and it's properly written articles largely that are on them as well. It's not a surprise these bigger organizations that have a lot of content are quite nervous about this. No, agreed. Do you reckon, or do you think that someone like the BBC could end up licensing to OpenAI and go, yep, you can come call all our data, but like Google pay Apple an amount of money to be the default search, 
you've got to pay us an amount of money to use all that content. Um, it could be an interesting licensing and revenue generation for the BBC. Yeah, I think it's questionable what the end game is because they're still taking your data and building their model and their income will go up while yours is less reliable. You know, we've already seen the kind of decisions that the LLMs can make. It might be feeding what comes next. And you're right, other news organizations have done that. Political and Business Insider have decided that they're happy to take, you know, allowed opening AI in and then produce news as a content. I think that's in for a world of hurt, but then it's not a decision I have to make. I'm, I'm glad it's the BBC and others that will be fighting this one. And quite rightly, I think this does belong in the courts. You need to decide the provenance of this data and who owns what, because ultimately what decisions will be made by not LLMs, but what comes after LLMs and how will we trust them and how will we prove, you know, that the decision they made was the right one, the ethical one, the legal one, you know, there's an awful lot buried within these models. Yeah. And is like we've talked about throughout the year about things like the CMA and UK legislation in US, how is this going to be governed globally? Because you might be okay to scan it in America, but not in the UK and not in, I don't know, Thailand, or I'm just picking some arbitrary countries. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. But I do think AI very much in its infancy this year, but but creeping out to the masses. But yeah, I don't think we found exactly how we're going to use it and how we're going to look at govern it and protect ourselves. Yeah, I think 2023 is the year of AI, but as you say, it's very much in its infancy. Yeah, I just think there's so many unknowns here with it. It's going to be interesting to see. And I can't remember if we reported on it, but there was an article saying that Apple have worked out a way that you can do these large language models on your iPhone with the constricted, you know, constrictions of an iPhone, i.e. not much RAM or, or maybe um, storage space. So it's going to be interesting next year as we start to see AI mature. But I think we're a couple of years out, probably 25, we'll start seeing actually AI settled down. Maybe we'll have to do some predictions about the improvements in Siri and whatever else is happening on our phones and iPads. We shall see. Has anybody got improvements in Siri on their bingo card? Oh, we always want it, but it never happens. Agreed. Anything else in news? No. Okay, moving on. Media. First story broke last week, I think. Uh, I saw a little bit of news about it, but this is a, a report from 9to5Mac that unless you pay a bit more, as of 2024, you're going to be seeing some ads inside of your Amazon content. Right, what's going on here? Either give me ad content and make it free, or take some money off me and give me no ads. What's this halfway house? Well, I've already whinged slightly about it inside of Apple content, where they show you the trailer of something else when you start watching it. That annoys me. If, however, I'm paying as an Amazon Prime customer, or as a straight-out just Amazon Prime TV customer, I do not want ads in my content. They've got a free V, I think it's called at the moment, channel, where they can put ads on. That's fine if you're not paying for it. But if you give me ads in something that, you know, that I'm paying for, I get quite annoyed about that. I pay Channel 4 to take them away. I pay ITV to take them away. I don't expect them on Netflix. I don't expect them on Apple TV, and that annoys me, but the qualities of the show overwind it slightly. But with the exception of The Boys, Reacher, and a couple of others, there's not that much in Amazon Prime that's going to keep me there if they're going to start doing this. Yeah, I don't watch a huge amount on Prime. I think for me, occasionally it comes up in the Apple TV app of you can watch this on. And I say, oh, it's on Prime. I can watch it for free or it's on Disney. Um, but yeah, if I'm paying you money, I don't want to see adverts. I, I am fine with adverts if I'm not giving you any money because you need to generate some revenue. But um, it's tricky, isn't it? Because we've all got to find that balance of what we want to pay for. And obviously this is, you know, cable cutting. I think it's had its heyday where cable cutting was quite f relatively cheap to do. But that, the screw's now being turned, I think, a little bit. 
Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know what to say about this. Amazon, to me, have squandered a lot of money on some qu- fairly questionable TV shows. Citadel being one $500 million or something like that, Citadel cost. Um, and that's then money. and then the Rings of Power, which was also drivel, really. And it was over a billion, I think. So they've spent huge amounts of money on some not very good IP, frankly. Whereas they have got good shows that are cheaper. I'm thinking of The Expanse back in the day. Reacher is a very good show, but certainly not demanding the budget that Citadel did. Citadel looked amazing, but was absolutely rubbish. I'm trying to think of the other one I watched, Wheel of Time, which is also, you know, a quite well, but not in the same league as a Rings of Power. So the fact that they're showing ads kind of says to me, they're not doing so well on the content side. No, they're not. And, and do you know what? The Rings of Power has completely passed me by, I must confess, because that should have been right on my street. I love Lord of the Rings, but I've not seen any of it. And I don't think I've really seen it advertised, to be fair. I watched it. It wasn't very good. That's that. Seeing that won't make me rush to it. Maybe I'll check one out if I if it comes past me, but I'm not going to go look it out in a rush. Yeah, looks good, though. Moving on to things that I'm not sure of are any good yet are, is the current season of The Crown. I want to say season six. I'm not sure. Season five, season six. Uh, season six, which has Elizabeth Debicki, who was in Tenet, uh, and all the other characters that we've come to know and love. Characters, Princess Diana, the Queen, big characters like that. I have found with The Crown that another show that looks fantastic and I get quite involved with. But the closer it gets to things I remember the less accurate it feels to me. So some of the stuff they're doing with Diana now, I've only watched the first two episodes of it, don't feel 100% right, you know, with the timing of the way things happened. And I think some of the casting is a bit questionable in this one. The, the, the chap they've got to play Tony Blair is very unlike Tony Blair, unlike what they've done in the past with Churchill, John Major, you know, uh, you know, other, other characters from history that certainly haven't come over like that. I also don't particularly like the casting of Elizabeth Debicki as Princess Diana. I think she's an extremely good actress. She was great in Tenet, but there's something about her in this that just isn't, it's not striking the right notes for me. It really becomes apparent when you look at the casting of her children, which is spot on as far as I'm concerned. Harry and Will, they've got the casting of them. Perfect. The acting is good. There's just something slightly off about her performance and I don't know what it is. Yeah, I've not, I've not seen it. I have watched a few of the early crowns. I actually genuinely really enjoyed them. But I don't know why I stopped watching it because I, I thought it was a good series. I just, just quite enjoyed it. I think we'd, I'd probably be the same as you because obviously the early series, I was not around for that timeline. Um, Elizabeth Becky, I think she's a great actress. She was in The Night Manager as well. She was very good in that. Um, yeah, if I get Netflix again, I, I might give it a go. But I've missed probably about four seasons now. I think I got to about season three. So I've got a little way to go to catch up. I have thoroughly enjoyed them. Don't get me wrong. I think it's very entertaining. How close to the truth it is, I wouldn't, couldn't possibly comment, I guess. But it's certainly very entertaining. And yeah, maybe it will redeem itself in the, in the next couple of episodes. I will, I will finish it having come this far with the crown. But yeah, just not hanging quite as well as previous seasons have for me. But I guess we will never know how close it is to the truth because up until recently, the, the world's been very quiet and you never, you know, things don't leak out, do they? That is true. Uh, Another show that I'm continuing to enjoy is Slow Horses. There is one episode left to watch. I think it dropped today, UK time, uh, earlier as the morning, and that's the last one of the season, I think. Which is correct. Which is very sad, but apparently the way they film them is they film them in pairs. So they filmed seasons one and two. This is season three, but they've already filmed season four at the same time. So we're definitely getting a season four. And that makes me very happy because I really like Slow Horses. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. And I think you're right, you know, you said how they film it. And we're only halfway through the books, so there are another four books to go. And there's some offshoot 
smaller stories and some other offshoot books so hopefully it's good and they will carry on with it because it is fantastic it's so good it's so fantastically done the acting's are great and it's introduced us i think to a lot of new actors as well yep i'd agree with that uh on a on an offshoot it is media uh i noticed that it was on sale on amazon prime for 99p for uh, well, not amazon prime on kindle for 99p so i picked that up just before christmas the first book which is the first tv show uh, no spoilers i'm very impressed with the job they've done in converting the book to the tv show it's very like the character well i guess i'm influenced by the characters i know having seen them on the tv show but it feels like a really good adaptation of the book yeah it's a good book as well mick heron's a fantastic writer so yeah i would recommend anybody get that book because it's a good inroad to it and you can probably pick up the books in charity shops or on the kindle relatively cheaply yeah but it's genuinely well written you know yeah, it's it's really it's, cool. it's it's funny a little more insightful a bit more detail on the characters than you get in the tv show but yeah, fantastic. I would recommend. Agreed. And it's probably the first time in this podcast you've spoken about a book for a long time. I don't get a lot of chance to read. Most of the things I read are academic papers. I don't get a chance to sit back and read books. So it's quite nice to get a little bit of downtime to read something. No, I get that. I've probably started reading more than I ever did. You used to read far more than me. But I think as our jobs have changed, you read a lot for your day job. I don't. And therefore, I actually enjoy reading a lot, a lot of fiction books. I picked up at the same time a recommendation by Jason Snell on the Upgrade podcast called My Murder, which is a sort of science fiction thing where they clone somebody that's just been killed and they set her to solve her own murder, which just sounds fascinating to me. So I thought I'll pick that up. I'll give it a go. So I might report on that in a couple of weeks. Sounds a bit, I was going to say Minority Report-esque, but it wasn't that that preemptive, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that was preemptive. It's more like, oh gosh, the thing with Joel Kinnaman on that was in Netflix. Uh, it'll come back to me uh, at some point, but there was a they called body sleeves, and you could move between bodies quite easily. It was it was quite an interesting concept for sort of high concept sci fi. But yeah, Netflix did a big show of it. Oh, okay, should we move on to games? Move on to games. Not a lot to report. I have in my queue now to play Baldur's Gate three. More on that later, and a couple of other games that I picked up in the Steam sale because the Steam sale started on the twenty first of December, I think it was. So there's lots of good deals on on games. While I was at it, I picked up Star Trek Infinite, which is like a it's not quite a real time strategy, more like a Civilization, a four X type game, um, uh, based in the Star Trek universe. You can play as the Klingons, or you can play as uh, the Federation, the Cardassians, or the Romulans. Uh, and you start from just having made interstellar contact to to go out and explore the universe. You can have Picard in it. You can do all the, you know, the Kirk and all the rest of them are, are, are built into that. So I've only had about an hour to fiddle with it, but it's really good. It's quite atmospheric. Uh, very, very, very detailed. <laughs> My brain is struggling to cope with the amount of options in it, really. But yeah, it was £17, I think, in the Steam sale and feels like a good purchase to me. Fair enough. I think that's where sometimes I struggle with a new game when it's vast and there's just a lot of concepts to get your head around there are a lot in this it feels almost like it may be crusader kings 3 that i talked about before where there is so much every menu contains another menu planets you can build buildings and you can decide whether to make them agricultural or industrial or you can put monuments and it, it there's a lot there that i've I, I haven't even scratched the surface of really and the tutorial only takes you so far so yeah i think i've got a bit of learning to do there Fair enough. Good reminder, though, because I have not checked out the Steam sale, and I probably should, given that I've got my Steam deck. So I would definitely be after some strategy games, because I do want it to plug into my keyboard and mouse. So thank you for the reminder, and I will take a look after the show. Do. So in a completely different game, 
type of game. My son for Christmas got FC24, which is the new FIFA, because they've dropped the FIFA branding this year, and we fired it up. Luckily, PlayStation do a sale just before Christmas, so I was able to pick it up for him at half price. Fantastic. What a game. I'm not a footballer, but the graphics, the quality of the game, as good as ever, to be fair to them. And I do wonder whether EA saved some stuff back for this release, because I guess they had the the quandary of, right, we're going to drop the FIFA branding. Therefore, if we're going to keep this franchise going, we probably need a great upgrade to, to keep people bought into it. It looks amazing. It's stunning. My son seems very happy with it, and, and we've been doing two-player on it. So uh, that, that was just my one just to touch on. It's FIFA as you know and love it but not called FIFA anymore. And it's got some great upgrades in it, uh, very realistic. So uh, that's been a win in our house. Yeah, I did wonder about this when the FIFA license went, and I think we talked about it at the time, is what are EA going to do next, having lost the branding, really? So does it still have all the players and all the strips and all the things you'd expect to see within it? I don't think you would know any different. Given that you and I know not that much about football... Um, I hate to put words in your mouth, but I don't think you or I would notice, to be be brutally honest. So I would 100% recommend to people. Fair enough. Uh, I won't check it out, but if you're interested in football, please do. Yeah, I wouldn't normally check it out, which my son is very aware of, but um, I I don't mind having a two-player with him, and he will win, so he's quite happy. Fair enough. Anything else in games? No, sadly not. Quite gaming light in my house at the moment. Well, on our follow-up, you've still got to join me in Call of Duty for a game of Plunder at some point, so you need to do that, Chris. Yeah, this is true. I should get that downloaded and have a look at it. You absolutely should. And enjoy that 120 hertz goodness on your PlayStation 5. Yeah, I've got all the gear for it, to be fair. I've just got no idea. Well, get it downloaded. Let's get on it. Okay. Main show, we thought we'd do some products and software and things of the year. Yeah, this, yeah, we've got some loose categories, I think, to talk through. Obviously, largely Apple-focused. Um, but things we cover on the show, I think we're just going to do, do a roundup of them all. Yeah, and most of these categories, well, not we haven't bought every Apple product this year, for example, but we're going to talk about them in a minute. And when it comes to software, it's things we're recommending as much as possible or things we probably should have tried. So they are slightly loose categories. They're not based on anybody else's sort of top 20 lists or anything, but they're going to be familiar things, I think, that won't be a surprise to many, particularly if you listen to the podcast all year. Yeah, I think that's fair. Should we get started? Let's do, um, there's going to be live voting in this as Chris and I decide what we're going to pick as the winner. So uh, let's start with Apple product of the year. The nominations are the iPhone 15 Pro Max, the, I, the iMac M3 and the MacBook Pros. So both of us have iPhone 15 Pros. Uh, neither of us have iMac M3s or current generation M3 MacBook Pros to my knowledge. But I think they're the sort of highlight products of the year, would you say? Yes and no. So I think we should include the iPhone 15 Pro as well as the Macs. Minor differentiation because I think both very good. I'm surprised the iMac M3's made it in here, but we can discuss that. And I agree with you, the M3 MacBook Pros, if you're going to buy a laptop, get one of them. They look fantastic. The specs are amazing. And the quality of that MacBook Pro is outstanding. So how do you want to tackle this? So should we talk through the iPhone 15 Pros? Yeah, I think it's fair you've made that modification. We'll call them the iPhone 15 Pros. And I think these make it in over the iPhone 15s, because other than USB-C, I don't think the iPhone 15s are all that, frankly. Cameras aren't that much better. They've got last year's chips in. It's not a significant upgrade. I think you'd just be just as happy with an iPhone 14. Correct. And it it did get the uh, Dynamic Island. Meh, but it didn't get the always on screen. So I don't think you see the benefits of the Dynamic Island there either. So for me, it's the iPhone 15 Pros that are are definitely the products in the mobile category this year that, that are worth considering. So completely agree. The only thing I'd say is obviously we had lots of gates 
as soon as they came out, whether it was overheating or various other bits. But they've all gone away as quickly as they arrived, which generally seems to happen. So they didn't really have any substance to them. I just say it's a fantastic device. For me, it was a bit of a frivolous upgrade because I already had the 14. But I love this thing. It feels great in the hand. I still haven't got a case on it. And I'm three or four months in. And if somebody said, I want to go and buy the best phone I can, I would say go and get the iPhone 15 Pro slash Max. Yeah, the gates were a bit of a worry, I think, but they have all pretty much turned out to be nothing, as far as I can see. Even the sort of bend gate, smash the back glass one, which I was quite worried about for a while, but the overheating seems to have gone away, the battery stuff seems to have gone away. It's settled down just to being very good phones. If I was being hypercritical of my own phone, I think the night photography and, and the blooming you get around light sources is really bad, and I'm surprised they haven't done something about that. But other than that, it's a really good phone. Uh, yeah, I'd agree that some of the night photography could be better. I don't because I do take a few black and whites at night. But no, it's just a fantastic device. I'm holding my hand now. It just feels great. Obviously, mine's a bit smaller than yours. I can feel it in my hand. I guess my only other point that I've noticed recently is where you push the the new side button to take a photo because it's quite high up next to the screens. Sometimes I get my fingers across the the lens that I'm using to take a photo with, and it's like, why don't they drop all the buttons just down a little bit? Why are they so high up? Because you generally hold the phone towards the bottom. The buttons could just be moved down a little bit. I don't think anybody would complain. I can never hit that action button the first time of asking. I always hit volume up first. It's 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 in the wrong place as far as I'm concerned. And I almost forget I've got it most of the time, which I think is a bit rubbish. Yeah, no, I've got used to having it. It just needs to be like, it needs to be where the volume up is. Everything just needs to shift down a little bit. They're yeah, I think, happy. I think that's fair iMac. Yeah, so the iMac M3. I'm surprised you put it in here because not the most exciting product, not widely used. I did go past an office in London the other week, and there was a bunch of 27-inch iMacs in there, and then there is one iMac 24-inch, probably the M1 one. I don't think it matters because the aesthetics are all the same. But in my head, if you were a non-Apple person and you looked in, would you think that the person with the 24-inch brand new iMac is on the newer or the older device because it doesn't look like anything else in Apple's lineup. It looks like an older iMac because of the, the bright colours. It's got a smaller screen and it just looked out of place. And it was just interesting in my head of it looks like all of this person's colleagues had the better device, but they probably didn't. It's the old they've got the older devices. But it, it just doesn't sit right. I don't get why they just didn't do a twenty seven inch one. And they should probably just made a twenty seven inch one above everything else. I don't I don't understand. It's an odd product. It is an odd product. The reason I put it in here is because I'm glad to see it's still a product. I was a bit, you know, they released the M1, there was no M2. Uh, what is this, the, the, the end of the iMac, really? And I think the iMac is such a important product for Apple for lots of reasons. You know, it was amongst the products that brought the company back, if not the product that brought the company back. So I'm still it's glad, I'm glad it's part of the lineup. I agree with you, it's slightly odd that there's a, not a 27-inch, that should be the only one they sell, not a smaller one, but obviously they're hitting a cost a cost point, really, for them. I just think it's an important device. I want to keep them updated. I think the reason there is only one is because people don't buy desktop computers anymore. They buy laptops. Unless you work for a company, people don't really buy desktop computers. Most people go out and buy a laptop. Apple will sell you any man- all manner of laptops to fit almost 
every slightly expensive budget that's out there. So this is really a bastion of something that used to come along. If you want something with a bigger screen, they'll quite happily talk you into a, a, an Apple Studio or a Mac Mini or something like that. But even the Mac Mini is designed to sit in a server cupboard as far as I'm concerned. It's, it's the Mac Studio that's the desktop with, all, with one XDR or one studio display parked next to it. So I think this is a balance for Apple between keeping a desktop with a screen in the lineup that isn't too much money that people are willing to sort of spend a little bit of money on. And from that point of view, I think it ticks those boxes. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from. It's just interesting they do an, you know, an iMac, a Mac Mini, a Mac Studio and a Mac Pro, whereas they really only do a MacBook Air and a MacBook Pro. I know you get two different flavors of the screens in each model. And I like the way they've done the screen sizes. But yeah, okay, fine. I'm happy that it's in there. I just think it's an odd product now for them because it just looks unrelated to the rest of the, the lineup. But I do like the colors. Yeah, particularly on the back, they look good. And it's a great machine. Well, certainly the M1 one is great, so I'm sure the M3 one is great as well. And with all the improvements to the M3 chip, it'll be able to hold its own playing a few games. You know, it's a good family computer. Yeah, good family machine. You, you know these going to be in reception areas and what have you. I think it's great. it is a great device. I just think they've made some strange decisions with it. At least it's colourful. Uh, moving on. Uh, the M3 MacBook Pros, uh, with one exception, I think it's a terrific improvement to the best series of laptops Apple have ever made. I completely agree. I, lo- I love mine. I'm recording to you, with you on it now. My, mine is, in essence, two years old because I bought it only a year ago, but I bought the previous model. I've got no ambition to change it. It's perfectly good enough for all I need. It's a great device. It looks great. feels great. What's the one thing you don't like? The base model 14-inch MacBook Pro with only three USB-C ports and no ability to upgrade the RAM and only 8 gigs of RAM and 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 I got real problems with that machine. I don't think it's good enough. I don't disagree with that. For a pro, it's a very handicapped device. Yep. For not an awful lot more money, you can get an awful lot more capable laptop. So with the exception of that, if you're really on a budget and you've got to have a laptop with the word pro in it, fine. But I don't think you should be buying that. I think that can interest you in an M2 MacBook Air, please, sir. But the rest of the M3, I think it's a really good upgrade. I like the base chip in the iMac. I think the Pro and the Macs are just even better again, those chips. So I think they're really good laptops and I think it's a great upgrade. Fair enough. Which one are we picking? iPhone 15. Done. Done. <laughs> no argument on that. I, I think it's a better device all round. I think they've done a lot with it. The cooling, the, the rounded edges, the, the, the look and feel of it. Agreed. Yep, good. Simple. Move on. I'll let you write in the winner category there so we can keep our spreadsheet up to date. Moving on, our Mac app of the year. Uh, and we've got a few nominations. And I think with the iPad, we're going to come at you and the Mac, we're probably going to come at me. But as far as I'm concerned, Mac apps of the year, one of them is a bit of a left field choice and it's the game porting toolkit. Ivory for Mac, Notion, Audio Hijack are our nominees. Did I miss any? Or are you happy with those nominees? I'm comfortable there. I- don't use a lot on my uh, Mac, I must confess. So I'm guided by you. Obviously, I record with you. I use the stock apps. I dabble in Xcode every now and again. All right, so let's talk through the choices here. So the Game Porting Toolkit is um, exactly what it says in the tin. It was released by Apple just after WWDC as a means for games developers to prototype how easily they could port a Windows game onto the Mac. Um, Cyberpunk 2077 and another one, something like Resident Evil, Evil, Evil Village, were shown as being able to do this. 
It very quickly came out when the new version of Xcode came along that it actually worked very well for other developers. There was some terminal arcane stuff you could do to get uh, some Windows games up and running. Very quickly, though, there's been some fairly turnkey solutions appeared that will let you get a limited number of games up and running, and they run really well. All these Intel games are now able to run on Apple using the game porting toolkit. And I just think it's a fantastic piece of technology that's really been put in, now it's been put in consumers' hands especially. That who knows what tomorrow will bring in being able to run things. It's not always the most straightforward thing. But if you were absolutely desperate to run Cyberpunk or something like that, the new Harry Potter game, Hogwarts thing, on your Mac, now you can. And that's something we didn't have before. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'm surprised Apple didn't put some sort of front end on it just to make it a little bit more consumer focused. But it's great news from Apple to bring it out um, when they had their fast event about the M3s that we've just been discussing, amazed it wasn't more gaming orientated. But maybe they're just slowly lining everything up and some more shoes will drop at some point. Yeah, so it's good. I, I think it's a valid nomination for this list. Next is Ivory for Mac. Ivory is the Mastodon client that used to be TweetDeck. TweetDeck was a Twitterific. 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 Apologies. Twitterific. So it's a fantastic little uh, app. I use it. Almost daily, I'd say, for keeping up with um, Ivory on my Mac. It syncs beautifully between the iPhone version and the Mac version. It's very clean. It's well written. It's a proper Mac app. Came out this year. Tick, uh, this year Ticks all the boxes as far as I'm concerned, and I'm happy to support them for not an awful lot of money to keep something that's a quality platform-specific app up and running. Yeah, agreed. You don't often get social media apps on the Mac. I don't use this one myself. I really only use it on my iPhone, but it's a fantastic app. Yeah, it's great. And the syncing thing is a big deal. Some of the alternative clients don't have this and you miss it if you flip from one to the other. So there's other, there's lots of great iOS apps for Mastodon, such as IceCubes, which is an open source one. And I think I mentioned it before. If you wanted to learn a bit of Swift, it's entirely open source. You can go and download some Swift and see how to build a social media app making use of ActivityPub uh, as part of that. But it doesn't sync with the desktop version, which is a real problem. The developer's trying to bring it in. I think it might be in a future version. But Ivory had this from day one, so fantastic. Yeah, no, it is a great app. would recommend. Notion, I'm already going to mark Notion down in one sense because it's really just a front end for a website. But the app itself, Notion, is just a fantastic thing. Uh, if you subscribe to Notion or you go with a free version, it's such a Swiss army knife of an app. It's not just a note-taking app. It's a database app. It's a checklist app. It's to do app. You can put everything in there. You can store Word documents. It's just such a... The only word I can choose, the phrase I can choose is Swiss army knife. It can be whatever you want it to be. And it's so versatile. At work, we've more or less moved to it entirely for everything we do for teamwork and collaboration. And it's just taken it like a champ. It's a terrific app. Yeah, I've not played this the play this sorry i've not run this app at all i did glance at it a few years ago so i'm guided by you on it but it's it's got rave reviews out in the wild as well so i would be on board with it if you were keen it's just a very good app and i, I like it a lot and it, for, for it to be adopted by my team who i'm the boss who goes new shiny thing let's all try this please everybody and they're all they've got to the stage after many years of me going oh god not another thing but this one, they've all jumped on. They've all thought it was great. And for non-techy, geeky, ner nerdy types like me to actually realize this and see the value of it and start using it, I just think that's a real win for Notion. Yeah, I can understand that. And like I say, I've heard about it in a lot of places, so they're obviously doing something right. And last in this category is Audio Hijack, which I know you've come to this year after a couple of years of audacity for recording the podcast. It is 
audio glue. Anything you can think of to get in and out of your Mac, you can you can build a, a workflow inside of Audio Audio Hijack that does that. And the reason it's there this year is they've added so much in the new version. They've added uh, programmability, so you can you can script it with Apple Script or Python or Automator functions. You can if you've got a Stream Deck or something like that, you can break out its functions onto a Stream Deck. It is just such an amazing application for audio on your Mac that and such a solid upgrade from the previous versions that I think it was worth a shout this year. Yeah, completely agree with you. It's a fantastic app. It looks different than any other Mac app. Once you showed me just the basics of it, I was up and running. So I think it's really good. And I would 100% give it a vote. So there are nominees. Have you got any strong feelings for a, for a victor here? I've only used two. So I've used the Game Porting Toolkit. I thought it's very clever, but I wouldn't call it necessarily an app, if I'm honest, because I think there's not much of an app front end, but it's an amazing feat of engineering by Apple. And it's great that maybe one day we'll see some traction. Shame it didn't come out earlier to go with the Apple Silicon transition and to try and entice people on the journey. And I would be keen on Audio Hijack, but I'm guided by you. Use the Mac all day, every day. I do not. I think it's probably Audio Hijack for me for lots of reasons. I rely on it every week to record the podcast. It almost never lets me down. It's very transparent about what it's doing. And it feels like a good Mac app, which is absolutely what it is. So... If I if I was really pushing, I had to give a runner-up. I think Ivory would get the runner-up for me because I just think it's another good, solid Mac app. Game porting toolkit is just a bit too nerdy, I think, for the average person. But Audio Hijack Pro for me too. I would agree with that, but Game Porting Toolkit should get a mention. I think that's yeah, honourable mention. Honourable mention for Game Porting Toolkit. And Poor Notion, which I like very much, isn't isn't a good enough Mac app. It's just a website and a wrapper. So must try harder, Notion. Agreed iOS app of the year. Our nominations are SQL 2.0, Flighty, Call Sheet, Bridges, and Too Good To Go. I think we've both played with these a reasonable amount, it's fair to say. SQL a little bit, Flighty less so for me, but yeah, Call Sheet, Bridges, and Too Good To Go, I've definitely used all of them. Well, I'll talk through the ones I know then. So SQL 2.0, it's a media tracking app. The idea is if you're watching a show, say Slow Horses, you put that in there, it will list all the episodes it knows about and you can tick them off as you go. Um, And it will remind you when the next one is coming up. So for example, my SQL app had five days to go, four days to go, till I got to the day when it was available for watching for Slow Horses. When this season is finished, if it knows another one is upcoming, it will give you the date of release. Uh, of when the next one is coming up. So if it comes up, it's likely to be announced on Apple TV Plus in December next year. As you look at the app, it'll be all watched, but December next year for the next episode coming. It's just a terrific way of keeping track of things that you want to watch, really. Uh, it sounds good, and I've seen this come across my periphery, but I haven't delved into it. So maybe that's one I need to bring up the list to play with. It's a good app, and they keep adding features to it. So it came out this year. I say they, it's he, it's one developer. He's added tracked implementation, which is, if you remember, audio scrobbling, which is what people used to do with with music and things like that. They had an overall database of how many times you'd listen to a song. iTunes kind of kind of does this for you these days, but not in as much detail as you used to get. It does that too. So it will tell you how many hours of TV you've watched this year, or what your favorite things have been, give you your year-end wrap-ups and that kind of stuff. So I just like SQL for its basic functionality, for what it gives you for tracking things, movies you want to watch, games you want to play, series you listen to, music you want to listen to. But actually, they just keep adding to it and adding to it. It's a really strong app. Okay, makes sense. Flighty gets a, a, an app of the year this year because of all the additions they've made to it in terms of widgets uh, and functionality. And it's just a good app that just keeps getting better and better if you do any flying. It's not cheap. I think it's five ninety nine a month. Uh, there is an annual plan as well. 
But I know, for example, this year, I have flown just in 2023 for a total of two and a half days and done 22,000 miles. I know that because of Flighty on 15 different airlines. So it's it's an amazing app. It tells you everything you need to know when you're in the air, when you're going to land, what carousel your bags are going to show up, whether your plane's delayed, how old your plane is. It's just a terrific app and it keeps getting better as well. Uh, fair enough. I've heard good things about it. I just don't fly enough for it to be a relevant app for me. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's quite niche from that point of view. Do you want to tell us about Call Sheet? Yeah, Call Sheet's a good app. This was released by Casey List, so you can go and look up your favourite films and you can link over to Wikipedia and things. It's got a spoiler mode in it so that, you know, if you haven't seen it but you want to look things up, it will hide certain things from you, like how many episodes is this character in, you know, that that kind of thing. Um, it is a really good app, um, independent developer. It's a subscription-based one. I think it's very good. The one thing I don't like about it is the colour that they've gone with. It's like a very pinky, purplish sort of colour and for me it just doesn't work the rest of the app i think is very good it's very well implemented and there's been quite a lot of updates since it's come out so would recommend and it's it's great to see an ind- a new independent release something yeah i think that's fair it's absolutely from scratch it's clearly a passion project for casey it's a nicer front end to imdb or tvdb or wherever he scrapes his content from but i like the little touches around spoiler mode and adult stuff and i do find it's a little bit lacking sometimes for some very specific british things which might be a function of of the databases he's calling rather than the app so i can't hold that against him but yeah if you ever had that moment of what was that guy in call sheet's a really handy app to have on your phone for that yeah, agreed. It's incentivized me a little bit. Should I do something like this for Wikipedia? Because I always Wikipedia is my go-to, and I'm like, can I do a front end on Wiki? And and I started looking into it, but I just haven't had the time to do it. That'd be a good little at, uh, itch to scratch as well. Our next nominee is Bridges. Bridges is a bookmark storage app effectively you see something on your phone you want to store it for your podcast for example you can hit the share sheet and it'll get stored into the right bucket uh, inside of bridges uh, featured it was an app of the week by me a couple of uh, episodes ago and it's a really good app i would say uh, occasionally the mac app will just lock up for no good reason whatsoever i don't know what's going on there whether it's some sort of interaction between the checkbox on the mac and the ios version but generally it's pretty stable the ios version has never let me down it's always stored the stories that i want to get in there so it's been really good for me and it stores the links as a clickable link with a headline for everything you had in there it will store just a link based version a markdown based version a json based version it's just a really strong app and i think as a first entry from a from a new developer it's it's a really strong app yeah i'd agree with that i think bridge is very good would definitely recommend uh getting used to it i just need to get in that habit now that's that's probably my problem set up some buckets for work for personal for the podcast it's a really good app um and it's not an easy thing to start off you know you're building up a whole database so yeah hats off to the developer who's done it in his spare time yeah it's really good a nice icon as well uh do you want to tell us about Too Good To Go? Yeah, this one I've added in and it actually won Apple's award. Um, I started using it just before Apple gave it the award. But this is an app that we can use here in the UK for maybe your local uh, cafe or shop. Um, and you, you can put a bid in to get, in essence, um, an end of day parcel from them, which will have so much content in it of stuff they would normally throw out so you could do it for cafe you might get some pastries or a sausage roll or a sandwich or a salad or multiple things and they usually sell it you put four pounds into too good to go and then the shop will make sure you get a bag that says worth 10 pounds so you get a lot of food that would normally get thrown away it's a great way of stopping waste and like i said one apple's award it's really nicely done it's just a good little app and i feel doing some good by not throwing food out and saving it and feeding your family 
It's good. I've still to try it. It's on my phone. I look at it every so often. It seems to suggest a lot of Costa Coffee to me, which I don't necessarily want to go to Costa Coffee at eight o'clock at night and pick up some secondhand cinnamon buns. I don't know. But yeah, I think it's a really good app. We talked about it on the podcast before. It's well written. It's it's very thoughtful. It's good for the planet. What could be wrong with something like that, really? So uh, that's our list. Have you got any strong feelings for a winner? Ooh. No, I don't think I have overly because I've only just started using Bridges. Cool sheet I like. But like you say, probably not enough detail in it for me. Too good to go is one I just dip in and out of as when I think, oh, I'll just see if my local cafe has got a bag going tonight. Yeah, this is a tricky one, really, because they're all very good apps and all very worthy in one way or another. I feel like Flighty's had an awful lot of recognition from other podcasts because it is such a good app, so I'm going to skip over that. And it is quite niche if you don't fly. And let's face it, we should all be flying less anyway rather than encouraging flying. It's, it's probably not the best one. I think for me... It would be between SQL, because I use it all the time, Bridges, or Too Good To Go. And that's that's as close as I can get it, really. Yeah, I was just grabbing the link for the SQL app, because I'm going to try it out, because of your recommendation. Well, if you're actually- And I'm going to put it in Bridges. Okay, well, that doesn't help. I mean, we can't really award award joint winners. My inclination would be, let's go to SQL 2.0 because it is more polished. It does integrate with lots of things. I think once you get into the habit of using it, it's really, really good. Also, is really nice widgets, i got to say. And we'll give Bridges the runner-up. Done. Done. Brilliant. Moving on. This is a really tricky category, though not as bad as the next one. TVOS App of the Year. And our nominations are TVOS 17 itself. Bit of a cheat, that one. Uh, ExpressVPN coming to that platform and Zoom coming to that platform. So previous to this, TVOS 17 has allowed VPN apps to come to Apple TV. I think it's a great thing. We talked about it at length on the podcast. That If you were in another country and you want to make use of you know, your home network so you can watch the BBC when you're there, ExpressVPN will let you do that. And that's terrific. Uh, enabled by TVOS 17. And then just in the last two weeks, three weeks, Zoom came to the platform as well. So if you want a video conference for your work or with, with your home, with your family, you can now do that on TVOS as well. That's all I could think of in terms of nominations for, for TVOS. Did you have any? Well, we could have added in the TV app because obviously that got a big update in 17.2. But no, I think the winner should be TVOS 17 because it has allowed those category of apps. You can now use your video conference device. You can use it for your VPNs. But also TVOS has had the most love this year. And I think I've said it, before quite a few times that the tvos as a basic operating system has changed the most out of any of the oasis apple did this year and i think for the better because you've got better menus on it the home screen's a lot better um it, the control center where you switch users and all that everything they've done is so much better it's just taken all the ideas they had and just rounded them all off a little bit so i would say it should be the actual tvos that's the thing we use and it'd be nice to recognize the hard work that's gone in to a platform that's typically been left on the sides totally agree with you tvos 17 winner no runners up because they're all enabled by the first thing it is a cheat it's not an app it's the operating system itself but a little bit of recognition for apple for a really good upgrade yeah agreed and i think tvos though is probably hard with newer apps because you generally just stream content and they will change a little bit over the year but largely they're relatively the same as what they've always been yeah we might struggle to find any to fill this category next year we'll have to see what happens Speaking of a category that's really hard to fill, I'm going to let you talk about iPadOS App of the Year. Yeah, so really hard picking for the iPad. And I was saying to you just before the show that as she feels like the iPad's like the Mac a few years ago, 
quite a stable platform. It's got its core audience. Some people have obviously emigrated this year back to Macs and what have you. But actually the apps on the iPad haven't really changed that much. I was looking in my dock. I've got all the Office apps from Microsoft, you know, Outlook, Teams, Office, Word, etc., OneDrive. I've got some of the stock apps like Safari, Messages, Mail, Notes, Music, Photos, TV. Apple TV's now come back down to my dock, I think, because I use that app so much. But then there's other apps I've got, like the iNewspaper I do use, I wouldn't call it app of the year. It's great. I can flick through the newspaper, but it's got a long way to go before that becomes an app I would recommend because it, it needs a bit more polish. Um, I did want to pull in uh, NetNewsWire because I really like that app and 1Password because I like that app. So I, the ones I've come up with are 1Password and Apple Music Classical because the new 1Password update has been fantastic. I think they've done a great job. That is available on Mac iOS and iPadOS and then I've put Apple Music Classical in because it's probably the only other app I've got on here that's new. It's really hard to find new apps I think. It's quite a aging platform at the moment or mature should we say. Apple have obviously done things to improve it and I wanted to put Outlook down because I think Outlook has got better every year but probably not better enough and I do agree with you here but it's good that Microsoft are still embracing all the things that the iPad does like having the denser screen you know, making it work in split screen, having multiple windows, etc. So I think my recommendation would be one password to recognize the rewrite because I think it's very good on the iOS platform. And I'm happy that Apple have done the music classical app, but I think they've still got some way to go because they need to separate it out into two proper separate apps rather than hanging it off the Apple music app. Yeah, this is a tricky one. Uh, once upon a time, you'd have been able to find all manner of interesting and new uh, iPad OS apps such as I don't know the comic book reader apps that were a huge deal for a little while Marvel um, Marvel's app for reading comics on the iPad is bespoke to the iPad it's got a particular means of reading it you know it works really well they bring a bit of dynamism in between moving panels but they did that a couple of years ago it's not new these are just evolution to things you're not getting those new innovative apps for the iPad in the same way that we've talked about already for the iPhone or even massive updates to things it's just little and often a lot of the time be it outlook be it one password be it whatever else you're not really getting those new new apps that are exciting for the platform and that's kind of a problem i think that and, and shows the iPad where it is it's just a piece of consumer hardware, which they all are, but it doesn't have any excitement about it as far as I'm concerned. And whether that's a function of the hardware, whether it's the limitations of the window manager, we might touch on that again later. I, I think there's issues with the iPad that means people aren't writing new and interesting, exciting apps for it. The two we've got in here, Apple Music Classical and 1Password, 1Password frustrates me endlessly on the iPad, actually, because whenever I actually go to use it, because I use it so infrequently, it said more than two weeks has elapsed and I don't recognize your face. And the camera on the thing doesn't recognize my face that much. I, I find that my, the, the biometrics on the iPad not to be as robust as they are on my phone. So it defaults to me to be Apple Music Classical because, yeah, it's a, at least it's a new app. It should have come out a long time before that it actually bopped up there. But I don't think 1Password is good at getting your passwords out. Great. It's the same as that on every platform. It shouldn't be exciting that. So for me, it's Apple Music Classical. Okay, I can go with that. I do like the app. I think it's good. It's a shame they haven't got it everywhere and and it's Siamese twin to Apple Music, but I can get behind that. I mean, I, I'm up for argument if you feel really strongly about 1Password because it is a great app and I do spend money on it every year. I'm happy to get if you, if you're if you feel super strong about it. But No, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I, I would go with Apple Music Classical. I'm very comfortable with that. I don't want to argue either way. I think, I think there's some good apps, but there's so slim pickings on the iPad. Um, which is good in a way because I use it in a corporate world. You don't want it to change too much. It's good it's settled down. But 
maybe next year we'll bring some newness. What with the Vision Pro showing a lot of functionality with the iPad, and I think we're going to talk about it, but hopefully some new, new iPads next year. Hopefully. TV show of the year. Our nominations are Succession, obviously the last season of that, The Bear, Fantastic. Slow Horses, I see where your vote's going, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Foundation Season 2, and For All Mankind. So just to quickly talk through these, I'll let you talk about Succession because you were a fan before I was. Hey, Succession, fantastic. I think everybody's aware of it. It's obviously got Brian Cox in it and Jeremy Strong. It's an amazing show. Oh, Macaulay Culkin Brothers in it as well, Kieran uh, Culkin, who I didn't realise, but he played Fuller in uh, Home Alone, the the kid that wets the bed. So there you go, little sidebar. But no, Succession, fantastic. And I think everybody agrees they landed the ending really well which is hard to do to get a satisfying end or an appropriate end so i really enjoyed succession series four um but do you know what though looking at this list it's a tough call here because you've got succession then you've got the bear slow horses i love all of these so yeah i would recommend succession it's basically a fictitious rupert murdoch empire in in media so it's gonna be a tricky one yeah, I'd agree. Succession is a, certainly a valid nomination on this list. For me, The Bear was a revelation. I know you watched it too. I still haven't finished season two because I've been waiting for my daughter to come back from university, but I was absolutely hooked on The Bear. I think it's 30 to 45 minutes of just excellent television. It's not a comedy. It's not a drama. It's somewhere in the middle. It shows real issues, some fantastic acting, some interesting sort of concepts. I think it's, and it's not about a bear. It's a bit. Of, it's a bit of a restaurant in in Chicago. So don't panic if you're worried there's a bear. I think there's a bear right at the start, but then you never see it again. I um, mean, it's fantastic, and the fact that I watched all two seasons and overtook you and really enjoyed it, and actually have gone back and watched a couple of, again. Um, it is fantastic. It's great. Slow horses. We've talked about already. Gary Oldman, Kirsten Scott Thomas, others amazing in that show it's just a really quality show it's got a good sense of humor it's a proper spy show it's got a lot going on and it's true adaptation of the novels as i've learned so it's very strong apple tv show obviously there's a lot of good stuff stuff to be said about slow horses oh yeah i completely agree with you it is stellar season on season just carries on so i'm going to go off slight piste here because these are two shows that i don't think you've watched yet uh, for me star trek strange new world season two was just terrific they did a musical episode they did an animated episode they crossed over from a comic thing into the real world with it they still have all the drama and nonsense that star trek is known for and it's just really solid i think if you'd never seen star trek in your life and you put somebody in front of strange new worlds they would have a fantastic time and get it and i don't think there's been a star trek show like that for a very very long time that you could just go here's some science fiction watch it without any of the luggage that comes along with it and if you've got that luggage because you are an old star trek nerd great you'll see it in the background and you'll appreciate it but for anybody who's never watched it before i think it's just an amazing place to start yeah that's fair enough i can understand because sometimes you've got to explain the world when you're bringing a friend along or a family member so i can understand that there's something that somebody fresh could dive straight into yeah, so I think that was a strong uh, second season and just a great continuation of a show. Foundation Season 2, another Apple TV show, just got better. Uh, I don't think you watched the original Foundation, but I don't think I've ever seen a TV show look so good, be so well acted, be so coherent as a world. And it is a as a piece of world building. The first season was a bit slow, but it just really took off in the second season. And to maintain that momentum is really something. Just an amazing looking thing, very well told, a very sensitive and well updated sort of progression to the Isaac Asimov novels from the, well, I guess he probably started writing them in the 40s, but it's, it's just an amazing achievement really, and it just looks so good. 
Yeah, and I believe season two is a bit faster paced than the first one. Um, it does look good. I've seen the trailers, but I couldn't comment. I haven't seen it. Yep. And then lastly, For All Mankind, season four, I think, has been terrific. Every season of that has got, I wouldn't say better and better, because the first season was probably the best, but it's maintained that quality level. It's maintained interest. It's a great, great show, great actors, well cast. Special effects have improved. I know you had an issue with them in the last season, but I think they've been much better this season. And it's just, it's a rollicking good story that carries you along with it. Yeah, 100% agree. The special effects definitely got there. Now, and the, the storytelling, I could overlook the special effects because the story was so compelling. So yeah, completely agree. So this is going to be quite a tough one, I think. Uh, is there any we discard straight away? Oh, I don't know. That's a tricky one. Sorry, I'm just looking. Part of me was going to discard Slow Horses because it is just so good. And when we know we've got more to come. Are we getting more of the bear, do we know? I don't know if we're getting more of the bear. I, I mean, I'll take out Foundation Season 2 because I think it is terrific, but it, it, you're, you're invested in that. You need to have seen Season 1, and I think you appreciate it for all of the things that it is. So it's a bit niche. So I think Foundation can come out. Okay. Oh, I don't know. They're all good. If I was going to sit down and rewatch, what would I rewatch? I'd probably you're going to say The Bear or Succession. They're probably the two I would lean heaviest on. But I should go and watch probably Starstrike and I do want to watch Foundation and I've got to finish For All Mankind. Yeah, I think For All Mankind is ongoing. I don't think it's hit its peak yet. I think it'll have its day. So uh, we've said about that. Foundation Season 2 is the same. For me, it's Succession, The Bear or Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Okay. Um, I'm happy either way. I'll go with your leaning. You, you watch far more telly than I do. I think Succession is going to win all of the things at the Emmys, so it's going to get plenty of awards off other people. I want to say The Bear is our winner, and I want to say Strange New Worlds is our runner-up. Done. I, I think The Bear is a good one because it's so different, and yeah. I love the way they tell a story without talking. We get some montages or some background imagery that move it along. So I would go with The Bear. I think I'd be very happy with that. With Fantastic. Um, Star Trek as a follow-up. Fantastic. That's That's very fair. Uh, moving on, our movie of the year, while you write in the winners for the TV show of the year, our movie of the year nominations are Barbie, Oppenheimer, The Blackbird Movie, John Wick Chapter 4, personal one that, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, and Wonka, which uh, is a late addition from you. Have you seen Barbie before we dive into this? So I've not seen Barbie, or John Wick, or Spider-Man. Well, I'm, I'll put my horrified mouth away and I'll tell you about Barbie. So I think everybody actually knows about Barbie. An Apart amazing. Me, it would transpire. Well, it would seem. I'm surprised you missed it, really, because the whole Barbenheimer, Oppen Barbie thing was, was, was definitely a real phenomenon when it was happening. Barbie is a very interesting movie. It's sort of a meta movie about our culture, uh, about what the Barbie dolls have melt, meant to generations of girls and women its impact on society, a commentary on the patriarchy, uh, some fantastic acting, some beautiful sets, an amazing soundtrack, and it really is a proper experience of a movie. Um, I don't think I was meant to be the target audience, but I felt I left the theatre as part of the target audience. It's it's just, it's got an awful lot of very, very clever things about it, told in a very entertaining way that I think is suitable for a very young boy to a very old man to and an all manner of people in between really that it's not a, a pink movie for girls which i think some of the marketing might lead you to believe it is terrific uh so i have a lot of time for barbie i think they told the story really really well yeah i think some of the pink marketing as you put it has probably not helped it in this case it's on my list to pick up if it, it's a streaming service i'll probably watch it then fair enough you can tell us about oppenheimer 
I love this movie. It was great. I love a Christian Nolan movie. I like that he can turn his hand to very different genres and very different styles of telling the story. I thought it was really well done. I went with some friends, you know, rubbish in a with paper thin walls and I could hear the movie next door, but loved it on the whole. So yeah, I would 100% recommend Oppenheimer. And it's great. It's based upon fact, you know, it's a real life story as much as it can be. Obviously, there's probably some dramatization in there. Um, I thought it was really good and I didn't think it dragged. You know, it's nearly a three hour movie, um, but just so well told, obviously, about the, about the um, atom bomb. Um, so yeah, that's pro- for me, it's probably one of my stronger films of the year. But interestingly, I have bought it but I haven't gone back and watched it a second time yet. Just because I think the problem is when you end up with such a long film, sometimes to rewatch, like I need to carve out a chunk of time. But you generally do need to do that for a Christopher Nolan film. It's good to go watch him a second time because you'll pick up on things. Yeah, that's interesting you say that. I have, I'm ha- having a similar experience. I have it. I haven't rewatched it yet. And the experience is still in my head. This might come in when we're actually trying to pick our winner, I think. It's interesting we've both come to that sort of conclusion. For me as well as being wonderful, being a Christopher Nolan movie, it's the Killian Murphy show. And I'm so glad he's got that time in the spotlight, really. He's always been great in everything I've seen him in, but he is just mesmeric in this. And he's in almost every single scene. And it is a tour de force for him as an actor. Yeah, no, I agree. He is fantastic. And I'm happy that it's been a film that you don't you don't need to watch three times to understand the plot, which is often happened, I think, with Nolan movies when he's trying to be too clever. It's, like I say, it's nice just to see him do something a bit more straightforward in a movie, if that makes sense. Yeah, but still told in an interesting way. Next, we have the Blackberry movie, which you and I both saw uh, and both thoroughly enjoyed, I think, as a sort of snapshot in time for a product that was analogous to something we were very keen on at the time. Yeah, I never had a Blackberry, but I thought this movie was fantastic. It was so well acted, so well cut. It wasn't very long. It was just a perfect movie, I thought. I just thought it was so good and probably is towards the top end of my list here i would suggest i'm kind of with you on that I, I agree with you i thought the choice of casting was amazing the music was fantastic it was funny it told true things that were happening in the world of tech at the time and and the repercussions for not keeping up with that and sort of betraying your morals as well to a little to, to a certain extent as well a terrific little movie that didn't get the attention it deserved as far as i'm concerned it should have been a much bigger better known movie than it actually was yeah, especially because Blackberries were so consumer-oriented. I know they started off more in, in the hands of business folk, but then ended up being, you know, in teenagers' hands and what have you. So I think this didn't have the marketing and the, the push that it needed with the studio. But yeah, it's got to be in my top three films of the year. Yeah, I hope it's a cult classic for years to come. Moving on to cult classic and John Wick Chapter 4 dropped this year. It's If you've been following the John Wick universe at all, it is more of the same. It is incredibly well done. It has one of the most ridiculous stunts I've ever seen in my life. I'm not giving anything away by saying there is an action sequence where John Wick fights to the top of the steps at Sacre Coeur in France. It's 224 steps. He fights his way to the top through an endless series of goons like the end of a video game. He gets to the top and then the stuntman falls all the way back down to the bottom. 224 steps at the Sacre Coeur back to the bottom. It is insane. Yeah, I probably need to watch this. I think I've only ever seen John Wick 1, and I know I've got a couple of them. So these are on my list to catch up on and circle back to John Wick 4 at some point. Yeah, it's it's a crazy film. I mean, I, it's not seriously going to be a movie of the year in anybody's list, but it's just it's terrific fun. If you like a bit of an action movie with some insane stunts, John Wick Chapter 4 is worth a look. Fair enough. Next, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. I don't know if you watched the first Spider-Verse film. They are animated classics 
frankly, as far as I'm concerned. They just tell the most amazing story with the most fantastic animation style. And this takes what was done in that first movie with moving between animation styles and and between universes. That won't be a surprise based on the Spider-Verse uh, commentary of it. And just ramps it up to the next level. It's quite a long film. It's as good, if not better, than the first one, I would say. All the techniques of animation, the storytelling, the voice acting, everything contained within that movie is almost perfect, frankly, as well as some sort of in-jokes if you haven't known a bit about Spider-Man. I was blown away by this film. I sat in the cinema agog, for want of a better word, just impressed with it, and I've picked it up since, and I think it is just a terrific, terrific movie. And if you liked the first one and you haven't seen the next one, what's wrong with you? Get out there and see it. Yeah, I've seen the first one. I really enjoyed it. I don't, can't explain why I haven't seen this yet. I just don't think I've got around to it, but it does look very good. It is very good indeed. And lastly, Wonka, which you can tell us about. Uh, I just added this in at the last minute, so I went to see it just before Christmas with my family, and great family film directed by the director of Paddington, some producers from Harry Potter. Just, yeah, we'd 100% recommend it. As, a, as you would a Paddington movie to watch with your family, my kids really enjoyed it, because I wasn't sure if they'd get a bit bored partway through, but no, they really enjoyed it, and... Uh, great performances all around um, so, yeah, as a family movie there's not many to choose from um, I would recommend that because that's for all audiences I haven't seen it I've seen the reviews are very good of it They're, you know, it's of the same sort of level as Paddington and Paddington 2 I don't think it's probably quite as good as that I know Paddington 2 is rated with oh gosh what do you call it greatest film of all time Citizen Kane you know, it's up there in the Rotten Tomatoes IMDb databases as being one of the greatest films ever. I don't think Wonka will get there. I like Timothy Chalamet. I think he's a very good actor. So, yeah, I'd be optimistic, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, I'd agree with you. Panther 2, I remember coming out of the cinema with my children and we were all just like, that was a great film. Because I kind of went into it, oh, it's going to be another kid's film. But as she came out, genuinely really enjoyed it. And it was the same with Wonka, really enjoyed it. It's not as good as Panther 2. There's such a high bar, but it's just a very good family film. So... I think we can narrow this down a bit. Barbie, Oppenheimer, Blackberry movie, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Man. I think for me it's the Blackberry movie from the ones I've seen. I I just think it's a very good film and I'm looking forward to watching it again. That's interesting. I was kind of leaning the same way. I think I'd have the Blackberry movie as as film of the year. And for me, either Spider-Man or Barbie is the runner-up. You pick... Well, i got to give it to Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse because I think it's an absolute triumph. But, But... it's it's only by a nose in front of Barbie because Barbie was terrific fun. I think the problem I've had with Spider-Man is I tried to watch the first one with my children. They don't like the animation style. I was trying to explain to them it's great animation, but it's just different. It's different to what they're used to. They're used to big, soft 3D generated worlds. Not not that kind of animation. But I think they've done the animation and it's in a really different way, in a really positive way because it's good to see something different. I'll tell you the cleverest thing about it, just to go off on one slightly for a second is that one universe, Miles' universe, and Gwen's universe are actually animated at different rates. One's on twos and one's on fours, so they actually move at different speeds as well. And to do that, when you get characters from the same, from different universes interacting with each other, to keep that sort of pace and attention to detail of the animation is just on another level. But that's 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 by the by. It's very clever, isn't it? Moving on, game of the year. Baldur's Gate 3, Super Mario Brothers Wonder, Spider-Man 2, Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. How many of these have you played? Just the one. Just the one. There were other. There were two more, but I've, I've discounted them, actually. We had Starfield and Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3, but that's only for me. So let's take them out because it's already distracting enough. So I'm it's guessing the one... you mentioned Starfield because yeah. there was so much hype about it and I've heard nothing or seen nothing since. Now, maybe I'm not 
moving in the right circles but it kind of came and then went yeah i don't i think it's a technical achievement that was very average in the end and and was bet what came before was actually better frankly right, okay. so Baldur's gate 3 i have i said at the top of the show i have picked up and it's meant to be amazing but i haven't actually played it yet but it has won almost everybody's game of the year at this point super mario brothers wonder you and i have both played we'll talk about that more in a minute spider-man 2 amazing technical achievement from sony and zelda tears of the kingdom which i haven't picked up and i haven't played because i find zelda quite disappointing but that's a whole different story we have both played super mario brothers wonder i'm wondering if we could accelerate this a little bit and uh, what do you think i'm on board with that i think it's fantastic if you love mario you're gonna love this game it's so good and it's generally an uplifting game i think to be fair the, the animations the style the fact it's called wonder it's just a very positive game and I, I really like it i think it's charming i think it's good for adults and kids Baldur's gate 3 is not good for kids i think there's some fairly adult themes with it but it's meant to be amazing spider-man 2 i didn't get on well with spider-man 1 i really struggled with it with the combat i don't think even though it's quite like other games like shadow of mordor and things like that i've played in the past in the batman arkham asylum games for some reason the combat in spider-man really put me off and that's put me off picking up spider-man 2 despite the fact i really like again the animation and i like spider-man which i just almost gave spider-man a, a best movie thing for goodness sake so it's not that zelda i don't know what it is about zelda but it's never really gelled with me and i have breath of the wild and i quite like the animation style of that but it's not a game I came back to. I played it three or four times and it, and it lost me after a while. And for that reason, I've not had the appeal of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. I don't know, what's what's your reason for not playing it? It's quite simple. I've never played either, but I've just been put off by the sheer quantum of time that you've got to invest in it. I just know I wouldn't do it. Whereas Mario is probably more within my grasp to play and finish. Whereas, yeah, Zelda, for me, is just too big a game. That's, what, that's really all that's put me off. And I think... I do like an open world game and if I was younger and had more time maybe I'd be wanting that but actually I like a relatively linear game that is completable I just think it's too open world for me and too too much of an investment of time all right I haven't played it but I'm confident Baldur's Gate 3 is going to be amazing so shall we win Super Mario Brothers Wonder and runner up Baldur's Gate 3 yeah I could agree with that because I just think Wonder's fantastic perfect Okay, and two slightly off-the-ball categories to finish on. Our biggest screw-up of the year. X slash Twitter, OpenAI, the Apple Watch ban in the holidays, the Humane Pin, and the PlayStation Portal. So I don't think we need to go into the never-ending world of horror and hurt that X and Twitter is. OpenAI and their management mess-up. We've already talked about the Apple Watch ban, the Humane Pin, again, we've talked about that in this show, and a late entry for the PlayStation Portal. Do you want to talk us through these? Yeah, so, just, wait, do you want me to run through all of them briefly? So, X is obviously just a calamity. I wonder whether it will be here next year. Um, I think that's kind of where we've ended up, in that people seem to be dropping off it so quickly. Um, OpenAI was obviously the debacle that we've talked about at length, of them sacking their CEO and then various other people leaving, they were going to go to Microsoft. Then they ended up patching it up and he's come back and they've sat the board instead. And that's all seems to be resolved. But it was just a ridiculous story. It probably set over three, four, five days. We'd probably make quite a good movie because it's quite time condensed and I think could be quite interesting. Obviously, we just discussed in this show the Apple Watch ban, which is mental that Apple have had to pull their flagship Apple Watches, you know, just before Christmas, which is unprecedented for Apple. Then we've got the Humane Pin, as we've discussed, or the AI Pin, should we call it, which is this 
phone replacement but not and what that's going to be like and it, sh- it ships next year and it's $700 and you have to pay $24 a month to have it which I think is smart the $24 a month because you get lots in it you get all your music and your AI stuff so I like the idea it's a one-off cost but I think the whole thing's going to flop because it doesn't it doesn't replace your phone and then I added the PlayStation Portal in at the last minute because I just saw a clip of it in one of the articles we were looking at and I thought do you know what? I just don't understand a world where that makes any sense. It's two thirds the cost of a PlayStation. Surely you just buy another PlayStation at that point than try and replicate it on a small handheld device. So that's that's where I ended up. For me, I think the biggest screw up is Twitter because you've taken what was a worldwide product that cost 44 billion, as you've just put in there, and you've managed to squander it all away because uh, it was a great platform. It needed fixing. It didn't need breaking again. Um, and I think that's the biggest script because you've lost your advertisers, you've lost your users. I don't get how you could have made so many poorly thought out decisions. What do you think? Yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, we can we can get rid of some of these very quickly. I think the Apple Watch ban in the holidays is just bad. It's not a massive screw up. I just think it's, it's law and IP and it's not going to ruin the company and the watch will come back. Breaking news, Apple Watch ban temporarily halted thanks to US Appeals Court. So there you go, breaking news, literally came out nine minutes ago. Look at that, just as I said, it's not going to break the company and in fact they're selling them again already. So it's a bit of a screw up, but it's not on the on the level of some of these other ones. So, same with you, PlayStation, that can come off the list. I just more put it in there as a thing that got released and we haven't spoken about. Yeah, it's, it's a mystifyingly bad product. When they announced it, I was like, hang on, it's just a mirror for what's on your PlayStation that's going to be laggy and pointless if you've got rubbish Wi-Fi. Uh, I, I believe Mike Hurley on the Upgrade podcast sent his back because it functioned so badly. So it's, it's a nice looking thing, but it should have genuinely been a portable PlayStation 5. Otherwise, what's the point? So rubbish, but not a massive. I, I think it's bad for Sony. They keep wasting money on handheld uh, gaming platforms that don't go very far. Have a look at the Steam Deck. That's how you do it, guys. The Humane AI pin uh, is just a mystifying product that, that's going to go under very quickly. But none of them, not even OpenAI and their management fiasco, are on the scale of X Twitter frankly. 44 billion down to they're saying 17 billion at the moment is all it's worth. Taking that global town hall and, and done that with it. Mystifying. I think you know, OpenAI will probably be a screw up of next year because I don't know where that company is going to go following all the legal stuff and things that are going to happen as we've already said in this show. So unquestionably, X slash Twitter are screw up of the year. Okay, and I've put OpenAI as our runner-up because I think that was interesting. I reckon Humane might be in for next year as well because we can talk possibly about the potential flop that the pin is. Or maybe they've got a killer product that's going to come out afterwards, but it'll be interesting either way. Maybe they'll be bought by OpenAI. And then our last category, we've got our most absent products this year. And in this we have the iPad in general, the M3 MacBook Air, Mac Studio, and Mac Pro, I guess, which hasn't been updated as well. AirPods Max, and you've written in their USB-C accessories. What do you think of this list? I think I disagree with a little bit of the list. So what do you think, disagree with? I think I disagree with the Air and the Mac Studio, because they did get updates this year to the M2. Wait, sorry, we had the 15-inch MacBook Air, and we had the M2 Mac Studio. So I think they've, they have been updated within 12 months. So I think they are fine as a pass. They should get updated at some point to the M3, and that shoe will drop next year. For me, I think iPads, having no iPads this year is insane. We've released one pencil, which is a weird Frankenstein product. 
AirPods Max, I can't believe they didn't do that. I've seen so many people wear AirPods Max when I go to London. Amazed they're not there. And I can't believe they didn't do USB-C accessories for the iMac. Like, come on, Apple, let's get on with this. So for me, it's probably the iPad. I can't believe a whole year without anything really on the iPad hardware front. Insane to me, especially when it's such a fragmented iPad world. Apparently, it's all going to get fixed in March, but we have to wait and see. Yeah, I, I think we're going to agree on this. The iPad has been the most absent product this year. What is going on, Apple? You don't have a coherent story in the software. You don't have a coherent story in the apps. You don't you, you don't have a coherent hardware lineup. We've all been saying that since they released the last ninth, 10th generation iPads, whichever one it was. It's just not good enough all the way around. 10th generation iPad, thank you. Yeah, it's it's mystifying to me that they had such a march on the tablet computing, and they've—I guess they kind of do. People refer to tablet computers as iPads. If they're Samsung devices or anything, it's an iPad to almost everybody. So maybe they don't feel that pressure to update it. But you use them every day, and you're disappointed. I went from using them an awful lot more, or trying to, to having no interest. And as you've said in this show, people who are massive iPad evangelists—Federico Vitici, Mike Hurley, others—are all moving away from the iPad because Macs are better unquestionably in almost every way unless you've got some weird arbitrary rule about not being able to use them in your workplace Macs are a better answer for almost everything there is the odd app maybe Netflix because you can download stuff and watch it on the train that an iPad is more suitable for but other than that I struggle to think of many use cases where an iPad is a superior product so they need to fix it and fix it in software fix it in hardware and fix the app story for the iPad for me next year otherwise it's a dead category yeah I agree I don't think it's dead, but it's, it's kind of gone the way. The Mac, the Mac went very quiet for a few years, and the iPad was looking great, and then they stopped doing stuff on the iPad, and they've gone back to the Mac. And I think they need to keep both trains running. They've got enough people, they're a big enough company, and I think that is the problem. But the Mac has come a long way, especially in the last 12 months, 24 months, since we moved to Apple Silicon. The the new Pro device have been fantastic. They're a little bigger, bulkier, but and the OS has come along, so they're getting there. They're, they're slowly lining everything up, but it's just taken a long time, I think. Uh, what would our runner-up be? I kind of want to say AirPods Max because, like you, I'm surprised they haven't updated that. They're very popular. I talked about my trip to Cupertino and to Cupertino and seeing people buying big stacks of them. Maybe they're just selling well enough that they feel no great pressure to update them. What we haven't got on our list is what we're looking forward to most next year, and I think. The Vision Pro is what's on most people's mind. I'm not looking forward to it, but it's going to be a big deal. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Maybe that's our discussion for the next show is what we're looking for in 24, because we will just be in 24 when we next record and we can have that conversation. I think that's fair, but my point was going to be, I think the retention is elsewhere. It's why it's not on the iPad. It's why some of the Macs haven't been updated. It's why the AirPods Macs haven't been updated. It's why the software has been a bit dodgy. Their attention is elsewhere. I think they struggle to walk, talk and chew gum at the same time, whereas they should be able to do that. They should be able to do that. So there we go. Runner-up AirPods Max, winner iPad. Happy with this list? I said winner in speech marks. Obviously, they didn't do anything this year. Yeah, I like that. I think that's fair enough. I'm not happy with the list because I do want to buy a new iPad Pro because I want a faster one. And I do want to buy some AirPods Max because I want USB-C everywhere in my life. But I'm so not exactly happy about it. But this year was cheap for me. In I say cheap because I didn't buy a lot of equipment this year. Whereas I think next year could get quite expensive. I'm not buying a Vision Pro, but we'll talk about that next week. I think we can call that a show, Chris. We've talked about apps, we've talked about things, so I think we don't need to do that. Yeah, we've gone a bit long, so let's let's go to the end. So look, if anyone wants to get in contact, you can reach out to us on Maston at g5maniac at maston.scott for Rod or at underscore cjp at maston.social for me or drop us an email at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com. 
Talk to you next week, Chris. Cheers, Rob.